everybody. It's Pastor Chad. Good afternoon. Today is December 20th, 2020. Just a few days uh, until Christmas. The title of today's message is A Merry Heart at Christmas. And uh, one thing I've found after preaching for quite a few years now is when it comes to Christian holidays, Easter and, and Christmas mainly, I like to go back over my previous sermons from, from earlier years and go through the notes and sort of uh, put them together, uh, take notes from different sermons, and then create a new sermon each year. I was doing that for today's sermon because Christmas is in just a few days, and I wanted to write something new. But as I started looking at the sermon from last year, I realized, you know what, this is really uh, a good sermon to have this year again. So I'm preaching the same sermon that I preached in 2019 for Christmas uh, because I think it's very pertinent to what we're dealing with in the world today in 2020. Uh, so the title of the sermon is A Merry Heart at Christmas. And before I get into it, like I do every Sunday, I'd like everybody just to uh, pray and uh, we will pray together and then we will get into today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you Again, that we're able to gather here online at a distance. Uh, people from all over the world are able to join together in study of your word and praise of you and worship. And Lord, I just ask that you would uh, bless each person that hears this message, uh, that your word would go forth with power and conviction. And Lord, especially at this time of the year and during a time of so much chaos and confusion in the world and in America, especially, Lord, I ask that you would just uh, bless us with the peace that is only found in you, that we would understand what the true meaning of Christmas is and that we would strive to honor and glorify you as we hear from your word today. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the title of the message is A Merry Heart at Christmas. And uh, before I get into the message, I just want to preface it with a couple points. And I think anyone, especially in America, would agree that 2020 has been a year unlike any other. Uh, it's been the craziest year that I can remember. Um, there's so much uncertainty uh, we don't know what 2021 holds. And really, uh, so much of the world and America especially has is in the grip of fear and ignorance and anger and division. And it's not something that came upon us by surprise. I mean, in America, we have seen things deteriorating uh, over many years. And uh, we've seen corruption creep in from so many different ways, whether it's into our government or our society or the church in America. Corruption has just come in and now it's uh, really being uncovered and we're seeing um, how severely corrupted so much of America is. And um, I would like to say that I feel that 2021 is going to be a better year, uh, that things will return to normal and uh, America will continue in prosperity and uh, we, will, we will overcome the trials that we're facing. Unfortunately, I don't feel that that's the case. Um, I've studied current events for years. I've studied American history and the Constitution and tried to get a grasp of what's going on politically in America for the last, say, 50 years. And uh, with all of that, uh, my best guess is that 2021 uh, could very much be worse than 2020 has been. And I don't say that to depress everyone. I don't say that to be dark. Um, but I'm just trying to state uh, what I feel is going to happen in the coming year. Now, on the other side of that, I'm saying that from, I guess you could say, a worldly perspective. Um, I would say that on the other side of that, from a Christian perspective, uh, things could be wonderful because we are going to see so much of what's spoken of in Scripture uh, more clearly. And it's a great opportunity for us to grow closer to the Lord and to see the true church bond together and become tighter and purer and more holy. Uh, and much of the corruption that's crept into the church will hopefully be exposed and eliminated from it. So uh, there's a blessing in all of this, as there always is. The Lord takes care of his 
own and he cares for his children. And if we are truly in him, this can be an amazing time of growth and maturity and service uh, for the Lord and for the cause of the gospel. Uh, like I said, lies, I believe, will continue in the coming year. Um, I don't think any American uh, with any type of sense cannot uh, admit that we have just been inundated with lies for so long from every direction, politically, whether it's the mainstream media. And I think that's what leads so many people to frustration and trying to figure out what's going on because you don't know who you can trust. You don't know who's telling you the truth. Uh, we just get these false narratives and these uh, false uh, opinions from so many different directions. And it's hard to tell who's telling you the truth and who's lying to you. And, and again, that's why it's great to be a Christian because we can open up God's word and we know we have truth there. So that's always just such an amazing blessing. Um, I believe that we're going to see corruption and immorality uh, increase exponentially in the coming year. We're going to see um, more exposed of what's really wrong in America and what's wrong in so much of the modern Christian church. And we're going to see more of unchecked human nature on full display because that's what we've seen over the over uh, recent years. So much in America is just immorality, just increasing radically, which is basically just human nature being exhibited on a grand scale. But through this all, I want you to remember Ephesians 6.12, which says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authority, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is what's happening in a battle that we don't see that's being carried out in ways that we can see. The reason things are so chaotic and so out of control and so sinister right now is because this spiritual battle that we read about all through scripture is intensifying and it's carrying over into our own visible reality here. And that's what I believe we are seeing so much more clearly in the world around us. So remember, the battle that we face as Christians is spiritual, and it's not a physical battle. It's carried out on the physical realm. Um, like I said, the sermon today, I, I wanted to preface it with this because I think it gives us a proper context on how to, to look at Christmas from the context of the times in which we live. But the title of the sermon is A Merry Heart at Christmas. And I think it's very important that we understand that in spite of what's going on in the world around us, we can still have a truly Merry Christmas if we are in Christ and we are looking at things from his perspective. Now, the, ser the sermon is based on a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached on October 25th, 1852. So Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon when he was only 18 years old on Christmas Day, 1852, and he titled the sermon, The Merry-Hearted Man. So what I did is I, I went through his sermon and I took the points that he made and I created an outline from that. And then I rewrote it uh, for my own use. And I do that quite often because I just love reading Spurgeon's sermons. I have a collection of all of his works, and uh, one of my favorite things is to read his sermons, and I learn so much from them, and quite often I, I break them apart, and I re-outline them, and then I, I use them myself, so that's what I did with this one. But one thing I want you to think about is two things, if you've ever read Spurgeon, and if you haven't, I would recommend that you do, two things always shine from whatever Spurgeon wrote or whatever he preached, and those two things are the gospel and a sense of joy. And regardless of what Spurgeon was preaching on or the times in which he was preaching, you always hear the gospel message and different aspects of the gospel message, and you always get a sense of the joy with which he served the Lord. And I think that's very important for us to uh, pick up, especially for the times in which we live right now. Uh, Spurgeon was, and I want you to think about, Spurgeon did not have an easy, cushy life as a preacher. You know, quite often now with, with modern media and social media, uh, pastors are put on pedestals. They're paid a lot of money. Uh, they have a very cushy life, almost like a movie star. That's not what the pastor's life is supposed to be. And Spurgeon, even though he was extremely famous, he was very successful. His sermons 
were published and spread all over the world because he was such a brilliant preacher. Um, he was forced to battle against false teachings constantly, and he endured ruthless attacks from false teachers and those who sought to compromise the message of the gospel. Yet he still preached the gospel with joy shining forth from every sermon that he preached. Spurgeon uh, preached at a time in the 1800s when uh, Darwin's theory of evolution was really just taking hold and people were fascinated with that. And it was really, they were using it to uh, attack the Christian faith. And then his greatest battle was against something called the downgrade controversy. And what happened is the Baptist, uh, the Baptist uh, denomination at that time very much wanted to uh, downplay the full preaching of the gospel. They wanted to downgrade the gospel message because they felt that preaching about God's wrath, about the sinful nature of man, about the total depravity of man's nature was turning people off and that we needed to preach a gospel that was more palatable to the world and that would draw people into the church because they wouldn't be offended by the gospel that was being preached. Now that sounds good from a marketing perspective, but you've got to understand that's not the biblical way of preaching the gospel and Spurgeon understood that. And this battle became so heated that he actually withdrew his church from the Baptist denomination because he did not want to be a part of this downgrading of the gospel message. And this battle was so severe that many feel that the stress that it put him under and engaging in this battle was one of the reasons that he died at a very young age. If I remember correctly, I think he died at 54 or 55 years old. Um, and a lot of it was because his health suffered so horribly because of the personal attacks that he endured when he engaged in this battle. If you ever read about the things people wrote about him, the things that newspapers said about him that were false, um, it was just brutal. And it was really hard on him. So it was one of the reasons that it could have been one of the reasons that he died at such a young age. But what I want you to think about, folks, in spite of how dark this message message opened and, and the times in which we live, and like I said, I think in the coming year, um, we could be facing some very uh, severe things, especially in America. Um, we still don't know what's going to happen with the uh, uh, presidential election. I think that's going to be a heated battle that just continues all through the month of January. And uh, you won't hear this in the mainstream media, but the specter of war looms on the horizon for America. Um, like I said, the mainstream media is not going to talk about that. And that's something I'm going to get into in, in, in the coming weeks. But there's a possibility we could end up uh, in, in a war situation. So, uh, like I said, I'm not trying to bum everybody out. I'm not trying to take everybody's eyes off of what Christmas is supposed to be about. But we've got to face the facts that we live in very trying times. But with that being said, I believe that now is a fascinating time to be alive in history if, and that's a capital I-F, if you're viewing the world through the eyes of Christ and through the lens of Scripture. If you're moving through life right now with from that context and that perspective, striving to see things through the eyes of Christ and to understand through, things through the lens of Scripture, this is a fascinating time to be alive. And I think that's... Um, what you're going to see as we move forward in the coming weeks, what I'm really going to try to get across is, is the proper way that we should be viewing the world right now. And I hope that it's a blessing to everyone that hears this. Um, true Christians don't have to be downtrodden and depressed just because so much of the world is. Very important thing for us to understand. You know, anybody that knows me uh, knows that, I, that I've said since, since the beginning of this whole coronavirus thing back in March, uh, I've just known that very much of this is a hoax and it's being used for very, very sinister purposes. And, and I think the reason I was able to see that so quickly is because I was in Kenya when this, when this all started um, and I was getting reports from my wife and my son and friends here saying, man, America just is rapidly spiraling out of control. You're not even going to recognize it when you come back. And when I, when I came back, um, uh, I had a layover in, in, in O'Hare Airport in Chicago, and I was watching CNN because it's the only station that they put on the, the big TV screens there. And anybody that knows anything about America, CNN is not a trusted news source. And because of the way they were presenting this, I knew that there was something very wrong about what is happening. And I knew that there were lies being told. So I really started investigating it from that point. And 
the majority of the world and the majority of America has, has unfortunately bought into that narrative and they've become very depressed and very downtrodden. And I see this whenever I go to the store. Um, I'm not a big fan of Walmart, but we happen to live just around the corner from one. So I do go there to get groceries a few times a week. And uh, it just fascinates me to see, I watch the demeanor of people as they're walking in and out and they've got their masks on. Obviously no one's smiling at each other. There's very little human interaction. Uh, It's just an attitude of depression and despondency and being downtrodden. And I I don't wear a mask. Um, If you do and you think that's needed, that's fine. Go ahead and do that. I I don't think they serve any purpose and I think they're being used really uh, as a means of control and to get across to, to convey a, a method of submission uh, to people. And, and I just refuse to be a part of that. Um, but it really is sad when you see the lack of human interaction with people because they feel like they can't, uh, that the people are going to infect them, that people are a danger. And I, I just don't believe that's the case. I think we're dealing with something that is a really a flu bug that's been blown way out of proportion. And, um, it's doing great harm in human relationships. So with that being said, consider the fact that now is an opportunity to shine with the light of Christ and to make a bold stand for truth and what is right. But to do so takes fortitude and it takes guts, strength that is only found in Jesus Christ. Strength that is only found in Jesus Christ. You are going to have to have a supernatural strength if you're going to keep your sanity and you're going to move through the coming year in a way that's joyful and with a heart that's merry and with the spirit of Christmas. We don't have to just have that at Christmas. We can have that through all the year. Now, think about what I just said with people walking around in fear and in ignorance and they're believing everything that the mainstream news is telling them. And then they see someone without the mask that maybe has a smile on their face or a couple. And I see these people. The couple doesn't have a, they're not wearing masks. They're not downtrodden. They're not depressed. I I see these people in stores. They've got maybe their arm around each other. They're trying to continue life as it should be lived. Pray that you can have the strength to live in such a way. Because that will bring glory to God when people understand why you're doing it. So what I want to ask is... For everyone that hears this, to consider a very important question to, uh, for yourself as you go into the year 2021. And that question is, am I following along with lies or truth? And there's a lot of confusion in this. And this is something that people present me with quite often. They will say, I'm going along with the narrative because I know so many people are frightened about what's happening that I do not want to cause them any more stress. So I, so I wear the mask for them or I do this because I don't want to offend them. Now that sounds really good on the, on the, on the surface, but what you got to really ask yourself is if that person has bought into something that's false and they're being led astray by a false narrative, are you helping them by going along with that narrative? So that doesn't mean you just appear to be a rebel to them and no, I'm not doing it, but maybe help them to open their eyes and realize I don't have to live like this. I can go back to normal life. This isn't as severe as it's been told to to be or as it's been conveyed to be. You see, just think about these things. It's a great question to ask yourself in the year 2021. Am I following along with lies or truth? Think about that. Great example of this would be John MacArthur's church down in Pasadena, California. They went through so much heat because they refused to social distance, they refused to wear masks, and they refused to shut their church down when the communist governor of California demanded that all churches refuse uh, that all churches close down. They went to court over it and won the right to continue to meet, and their church has suffered no ill effects from that that I'm aware of. You see, I'm saying be responsible. I have parents that are elderly. If I feel like I have any kind of an illness, not before this ever came along, obviously I never went around my parents if I felt like I had a cold or a flu bug. That's the way we should have dealt with this problem from the beginning. But the media got involved, the government got involved, saw an opportunity to make something out of this that it's not. And that has consumed our society. So what I'm saying is just ask yourself. It's very important that we analyze the situations that we're in and make sure that we're moving forth in truth 
and not in lies. And that truth is for each person to decide on their own. So we can't be super judgmental as we go about this in the coming year. And then consider what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us, meaning believers, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So this is a great time in history for Christians to, to understand that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And to use these circumstances and these situations as an opportunity to serve the Lord, to honor him, and to make a stand for what is right and not at what is wrong. Now, I want to get into today's message from about today's message about Christmas. So what I'm going to do before I do that is I want to get into, and I'm sorry, as I usually do, I forgot to share that last verse with you guys, last two verses. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I'm going to read the Christmas story from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And uh, I'm not going to have it on the screen simply because it's so much scripture that you wouldn't be able to read it anyway. So please have your Bibles open, follow along. Um, but this is the preface to today's message. So, let, so let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And they saw it, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, typically in a Christmas sermon, I would go through and we would break that portion of scripture out and we would look at each part of it and, and, and analyze it and study it. And I would preach on it as we are to do with scripture. But I wanted to do something a little bit different. Like I said, that I, the same sermon I did last year, because I think it's very important because of the times that we're living in. And we're all familiar with the Christmas story. We know Christ, We know why Christ came. If you listen to my message from the last couple of weeks, we addressed that. Um, but what I really want to address is why we are supposed to be merry at Christmas. So the sermon is not based on specifically the Christmas story today. But it has very much to do with the reason why Christmas is supposed to be a time of joy and merriment and celebration and adoration of the Lord. So the sermon is actually based today on Proverbs 15, 15, which says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. And I think that scripture is very much applicable to Christmas. And obviously Spurgeon did too, because like I said, I, I based this off of a sermon that I originally read that he preached. So what I want you to just consider is what does it mean to be truly merry? 
And why are Christians merry? All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. So regardless of situations, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's going on in the world, Christians are merry and we always have a continual feast because we are in Jesus Christ. So I want you to consider the world. I want you to contrast the afflicted with those that are merry. The afflicted are depressed in mind and or circumstances. And they are in such a state. Why? Because of the dark emptiness and hopelessness of the world. That's what we are seeing so clearly in the world right now. The fallen and sinful nature and condition of humanity is on vivid display right now because of the current situation that we're struggling through and the current crisis that we're in the middle of. Now contrast that with the person that has a heart and a spirit that is Mary in Jesus Christ. It means good in the widest sense. That's a definition of Mary biblically. Good in the widest sense. In the above narrative, the Christmas story, we see examples of true merriment in Joseph. He had a sense of joy and merriment because of the role that he was given to bring the Messiah into the world. In Mary, she was the chosen vessel to give birth to God incarnate to the angel Gabriel who pronounced these amazing blessings and roles to these human players that were given these amazing ministries. And above all, to Christ the Lord, who is the source and reason for all joy and merriment. Everything revolves around him. That's why we can have a Merry Christmas. And the heavenly host and the shepherds, they all had this blessed merriment because of Jesus Christ and the gospel message. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Our peace is with God and our peace is spiritual and of the soul. Now, if we truly understand that, these things that are going on in the world do not have as much power against us as they do those that are outside of Jesus Christ. We are protected because our peace is spiritual. It resides in Jesus Christ. It abides in him, and it is of the soul and of the spirit. You see? Now, Spurgeon gives a list in this sermon of people that can be merry. He actually breaks it down into a, a list of five. Spur and, I, and I titled it Spurgeon's List of People That Can Be Merry, and that includes the man whose life is insured in Jesus Christ. So what we're doing here is, is, is ask yourself the question, what does it mean to truly be merry at Merry Christmas? And then consider these five points. And I'm going to go into each one. That's what the sermon structure is. The man whose life is insured in Jesus Christ is number one. Number two, the man who is out of debt to man or God. Number three, the man who knows he has more than he deserves and lives content. Number four, the man who has hope in the fulfillment of God's promises. And number five, the man who sees his life in election, redemption, adoption, and glory. So let's look at the first one. The man whose life is insured in Jesus' life. Philippians 1.6 And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We can be merry because we have assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was talking about there. And then look at John 6, 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. But I, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Mary is the one who rests in God's promise that we who look on the Son and believe in him will have eternal life. So what you're starting to see here is that proper perspective. Regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of the fact that we can't trust what we're told, that we're surrounded by lies and sinister subterfuge and, 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 and forces of evil trying to attack us, it doesn't matter because we look at what we have been blessed with 
in salvation in Jesus Christ, knowing that we are told and promised by God in Jesus Christ that that eternal salvation is secure and can never be taken away or lost. People that can be married include the man who is out of debt to man or God. This is the next point. Look at Ezra 9, 5 through 6. This is a man that is writing about the horrific debt that he knows that he and his people have before God. Ezra chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Folks, you just don't see that type of conviction of sin in the modern church. And I can tell you this from working so many years in the recovery thing and seeing people, you know, try to overcome addiction and alcoholism or whatever it is. Even in the Christian context, nine times out of 10, people are looking for a way out of uh, circumstances and conditions and the havoc that they have caused themselves because of their sinful lifestyles rather than trying to be reconciled to God because the iniquity of their guilt for sin is crushing them. You almost never come across that in the modern church. You see, people want to over people want a way out of consequences. They don't want to be reconciled to God. Why? Because the gospel has been neglected for so long that reconciliation with God is not even understood by the majority of pastors in the world today. That's just the truth of the matter. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, when have you ever heard someone talk like this? And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. That's why Spurgeon fought so hard against compromising the gospel in the 1800s, because he knew if you compromise the gospel, People would not understand the law. They would not understand that they had transgressed God's law. They would not understand that they had sinned against a perfect and holy God. And because of that, they were doomed to eternal suffering and separation from God. And if you do not preach the whole gospel, that is what happens. You've got to have an uncompromised gospel message. And that's why Spurgeon was so passionate to fight that battle. But honestly, in probably 90% of the modern church, that battle has already been lost. Because you don't see this type of contrite contrition before God and the crushing weight of sin because the knowledge of breaking God's law has come through to the human heart. Just think about that. It's just the truth. Think about this. Consider the burden that is earthly debt. All of the debt, just think of the, when you've been in times in your life where you may have had just a, an overwhelming amount of debt, credit card, debt card, whatever it is. Consider the burden that is earthly debt. And then all of the debt in the history of the world, consider that it does not compare to the eternal debt of sinners to God. If you take all of the debt that's ever existed in the world down through history, it, has, it doesn't even scratch the surface of the debt that sinners have to God because of transgressing his law. That's the way it is. I mean, look, just consider the debt that the American that America is in right now. What is it, 22 or 26 trillion dollars? And we just print money like it's like it's just endless. That debt will never be met, but it doesn't even scratch the surface of the debt that mankind bears because of transgressing God's law and rebelling against him. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in spite of that debt, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Is that not, that one point alone 
should be a great reason for celebration at Christmas, should be a great reason for a heart to be merry in Jesus Christ at Christmas. So Mary is the one who has, re has been reconciled to God, whose record of debt to God has been canceled through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now let's, let's look at the next point. Mary is the man who knows he has more than he deserves and lives content. This one is a huge one for our modern world. Mary is the man who knows he has more than he deserves and he can live content. Psalm 23, 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What that means is, if the Lord is truly your shepherd, you don't want anything else because he meets every need. He fills every desire. You can't imagine anything being needed beyond him. Understanding that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Understanding what a blessing that is, that we are saved by grace as a gift and not by our works that everything that we have is the ultimate gift. There is no gift you can give at Christmas that even comes close to the gift that we have to be saved in Jesus Christ. Understanding that salvation cannot be earned and is not deserved. This is why we rejoice in God's love and grace and mercy. And when you start to understand these things, because you've been blessed to come to Jesus Christ through the message of the gospel and set free by his blood, then you understand what it is to have gratitude to God. And great, a great antidote to affliction is gratitude. If we live with a spirit of gratitude in the times in which we live, things will not affect us so much. We will be content in Christ and we will want nothing beyond him. Now, this last week, I saw a great example of the dangers of false teachings and what it does to people when times really get hard. My parents shared with me the fact that uh, they now live in Idaho, with where we live, but they were from California, where we we're from originally, and their neighbors in their last neighborhood were, um, from all appearances, part of the New Apostolic Reformation movement. They were obsessed with speaking in tongues. They were obsessed with um, all the stuff that the NAR is involved with, false healings. They were not focused on the gospel. They've been led away by false teachings. Well, this, was an this is an elderly couple, probably in their 70s or 80s, and the news uh, came to my parents that they had contracted COVID, which is not a good thing if you're elderly, and their friends told my parents that they are both very angry at God because he allowed them to get COVID. Now, how could they understand what I just preached and be angry at God, because they got COVID. Do they deserve not to get it? Nobody does. God may protect us because we're his children and he loves us. But if we do get it or we get anything, we've still been given more than we deserve if we have salvation in Jesus Christ. That just really struck me when they told me that those people, their friends were telling them that they were just very angry at God. Why? Because if you're in a false belief, what do you exist on? Self-righteousness. I have a special gift. I speak in tongues. I can heal. I can do this because I'm special. I have a special spiritual gift. And then when something happens to you that's wrong, what don't you have? True faith. What don't you have? Peace in Jesus Christ. What don't you understand? The gospel and gratitude to God. So you automatically get mad at him. You see? It was a very fascinating thing for me to, to hear. Folks, if you're in Christ, you can be blessed with contentment in Christ, regardless of your situations and circumstances. Mary is the one who is poor in spirit, contrite in heart, saved and filled by grace with God's love from the river of living water, which is Jesus Christ, content in him and wanting nothing more. Praise the Lord. Look at Luke 18, 10 through 14 for a beautiful picture of what it is to be truly content in Christ and to know what it is to be humble before him. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Folks, you've got to understand that true humility before God is where we get power. True humility before God blesses us with the strength and the power that we need to make a bold stand for him in front of people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was just an amazing man of God, who stood up to the Nazi uh, movement in the 30s and early 40s. He knew what Hitler was. He knew how evil he was. And he ended up dying for making that stand because he would not compromise his faith. His close friend at his funeral said that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a child before God, but a giant among men. And he was a giant among men because he was a child before God. He was talking about his humility before God. If you are truly humble before God, you will be able to make a stand like a giant among men, regardless of the situations and circumstances that you find yourself in. You see? But we get that so wrong in the modern world. People think if they act humble towards people, which we are to be humble to a certain in the right manner. But a false humility is what we see so much, or a false pious attitude. When you read church history and you read about guys like Augustine and Luther and even Spurgeon and Calvin, these guys didn't did not uh, walk away from a fight when a fight had to be fought because of the gospel, because of the cause of the gospel. You see? They made a stand when a, when a stand needed to be made. They were men. Paul tells us in the Bible, act like men, be strong. You see? And you cannot do that in the right manner unless you are humble before the Lord and a child before him. So strive to understand what true humility is. It will be so important in the coming year. A quote from Spurgeon here. Your heart must be bruised, then broken, then healed, then washed in blood, then in water, and then bound to Jesus Christ. That's how the gospel works. Beautiful quote. Mary is the man who has hope in the fulfillment of God's promises. Look through the scripture at all the things that we are promised as, as children of God, and you cannot help but praise the Lord, worship him, adore him, and strive to serve him, and you will not be affected as much by the world. Look at 2 Peter 1, 3-4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Paul didn't pull any punches. The world is corrupt. And we spend so much time right now trying to figure out how to make the world right. It will never be right. Only the gospel is the truth in this world. We've got to accept that. And we've got to understand that God is perfectly faithful. He has never failed on his promises and we can rest on his promises. And that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We should be rejoicing in the immutability of God, the fact that God never changes. That's where our faith rests. And we should be standing on and rejoicing in the promises of God that we are blessed with in Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Every promise of God is a blessing to the children of God who have been brought to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Mary is the one who rejoices in God's promises fulfilled and rejoices in the blessed hope of God's promises to be fulfilled in glory. So we can look back at the promises that have been fulfilled in our lives, the promises that he's meeting now, and the promises that he has told us that we will have in the future with him in glory. Look at, uh, I, missed two ver I missed a verse, so I'm just going to read this one. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence 
by which he has granted us uh, to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Sorry for the confusion there, folks. I didn't realize I'd put that verse twice on my notes. I didn't need to read it again. Mary is the man who sees his life in election, redemption, adoption, and glory. So what does this tell us? It tells us the importance of studying the Christian faith, of studying Christian doctrine, of striving to know who Christ is through his word. Because when you understand the doctrines of election, redemption, adoption, and glory, you will be blessed with the heart that is Mary in Jesus Christ. Election means we are chosen and set aside by God. I really missed some verses here today, folks. I'm sorry. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 10, 14. Mark 13, 27. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Praise the Lord if you can, if you can say, wow. I get to be saved because I'm one of his chosen ones. Not for any reason, any righteousness of my own. I don't know why the, why the Lord chooses one person over another, but he does. And praise him for that. Redemption. We are saved from the pit of destruction and we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke 1.68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. Meditate on that. Adoption. Consider that we were enemies of God in rebellion against him, totally breaking his law. But he not only saves us, but he adopts us into the family of God as a child of God. Look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Folks, if you're depressed or you're down, Ephesians is one of the most uplifting books you can read because it just exemplifies and conveys the promises of God that we have in Jesus Christ so clearly. And the glory that we have in Jesus Christ, our hope and joy in Jesus Christ. Look at uh, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Another reason to be Mary in Jesus Christ. Mary is the one who abides in Jesus Christ, looking to him, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I know I'm hitting you guys with a ton of scripture like I always do, but what I'm trying to get across is this coming year may be worse than 2020. I hope it's not, but I, like I said, I feel like it's going to be. Focus on these things, and this year will be a blessing. So to close, blessed is the one who truly understands the Mary in Merry Christmas, the reason why it's called Merry Christmas. I just gave you the reasons. Think about those. Meditate on those in the coming week, the coming month, in the coming year. Arm yourself with the word of God. Abide in Christ. I'll close with Isaiah 42, 5 through 7 and John 3, 16. Just consider these verses as we get ready for the, to celebrate Christ's birth in a few days. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Folks, that is a picture of the world right now. 
we have an opportunity to share the gospel and bring people out of darkness. Praise the Lord for that. And John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the Christmas message right there. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this message today. Uh, Lord, as we move into this new year, it does appear that it's going to be a year of challenges and struggles. But we look to you. We rest in you. We trust in you. We know that your promises are sure. That you've never failed one of your children. That every purpose of yours is carried out. That every promise comes true. And Lord, I ask that you would give us great power, great humility, and great strength in the coming year. And that we would do mighty works in your name. And that you would guide us, direct us, and keep us safe. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys, thank you so much again for being here today. Uh, it's always a pleasure. We will be back here again next Sunday, same time, same place. Um, as usual, we're always in need of support, so please consider helping the ministry, especially this time of the year. Um, a year-end uh, donation is always a huge blessing to the ministry. There's so much we want to do that we're limited on being able to do because of funds, but the Lord always provides, and we ask that you would consider uh, helping us uh, especially at the end of the year here. And to do so, you can just go to the way, the letter R122.org, click on the donate page, and uh, you can donate right there. All right. Merry Christmas. God bless you guys. And we will see you here next week. Take care.